surprised them? I don't know. And I think our listeners wonder too, all of a sudden, well, first of all, welcome to the Regeneration podcast. You kind of caught us in mid-conversation, but uh, for those listening, especially to the YouTube, uh, the lady's voice that says you're recording used to start and then YouTube would start recording. Now it starts recording and we hear the lady's voice. I think she's looking for stardom, right? She's getting her, her voice out there and name. I hate droids, but anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, but again, welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. We have a returning guest, one of our most popular. And um, because you'll hear his accent, and even though last time we had him on, uh, he's of Irish descent. And so when we set up this Zoom call, I used the wrong time zone. So our guest <laughs> this morning, James Tunney, uh, he's, uh, he lives in Sweden. And so thank you, James, for... Um, for your patience in uh, me giving you five hours away when it's actually six hours away. And I uh, wanna let people know that uh, we've got a couple of subjects that we're blessed to be talking with James about this morning. And, um, and I'm really honored to think that he had listened to our previous series on the machine, the <coughs> beehive, the structure. And uh, James, before we signed on, said he'd like to weigh in a little bit. And that's uh, perfect, because I was thinking I'd want his opinion on this too. So James, you know, begin, uh, go at it any which way you like, something you heard that you want to re uh, react to or just kind of like your bold own initiative on this vision of the world. Yeah, just to, because I, I think any uh, any discourse or dialogue has to be a growing open uh, thing as, as opposed to just some, some tessellated mosaic of opinions. So uh, in the last book I wrote, the recent book, which is kind of 800 pages, which the plantation of the automatons, it's about the machine. So what I seek to do on that is to show from a historical context, my view of uh, what you've referred to as the machine, of course, Paul referred to the machine. And as, as suggested, that goes back to Tolkien, E.M. Forster, the machine, 1906, uh, and a lot of others. And also into the idea of man as machine, going back to 747, the Lemaitre. So there's a number of different Absolutely. ways we have to think about it. So I, I tend to think about it on a, on a micro level in relation to the human as a, a machine or the conception of the human as a machine. Uh, the medium level in relation to social factors and media. And then the, the macro level. And, and in that context, that's the issue of global governance. Mm -hmm. So I've sought to explain how what's happening now is that we're going through a change of state. The World Economic Forum call it the state of the world, which is two meanings. The state of the world it refers to that which is outside artificial intelligence and refers to a global state. So that implies the breakdown of the United States, national states, national sovereignty, and also the implications for the micro element for us in this new governance system, which of course is the transhumanist context. So we're moving into, uh, so, so state is very important and the idea of change of state and, and uh, consistent with what Guido was talking about, of course, John Kenneth Galbraith in 67, the new industrial state mm -hmm. and techno structure. Uh, so we're all familiar and I agree with the thrust of the critiques presented. So I just want to adds to that in, in the feature of the future of governance is the machine of government as it was described in the 19th century by a Jesuit, I think. And it's a, there's a funny element in this as well, in that 
uh, I, I've posited this shift in relation to humans and human interaction with the machine as a shift of us to the automaton mm -hmm. state. And there's an interesting, there's an interesting uh, complication, I suppose, in the historical uh, evolution in that the body that was most concerned with automata for a long time in Europe was the Catholic Church. And people forget about this, that when you Same went into churches, they had they had Jesus that moved. They had a lot of statues that were moving. You still see them in the churches in, in Germany when the, the man comes out to bang on the clock. They were the ones that had the technical skills. When the Jesuits went to China, they impressed the emperor with, with automata. So uh, there's a very close connection between the, the great scientific tradition from which all science in Europe came from ultimately, uh, and the uh, machinery, which was later after the Enlightenment taken over, uh, there was various uh, places where automata were represented in gardens, which is the other main motif I, I, I would emphasize. And that's where Descartes came, uh, came to uh, which develop some of his ideas. You used the word motif. What motif was it? Sorry, the extra one of the garden. Uh, okay, gotcha. The yeah. garden as well. So uh, I've said the plantation of the automatons. The other main idea that I want to stress is that the idea of plantation is an idea that goes back to the Roman times, goes back to the Egyptians, was developed in particular to the British Empire, the Portuguese, and posited in this idea is an idea of the human as, as plant. And this is the thing that people don't really understand, that there was a deep idea that we are plants. And you can see this continued through imperial science or the empire of scientism, as I've said, uh, T.H. Huxley describes plantation. The plantations in the United States were about people being planted by corporations, and the religious theme came afterwards. It just happened to be that there was there, there was people who came. It wasn't really a, uh, or, or that there was an element of it which was independent of that. But so in the United States, the literature on plantation focuses on the very particular experience in the United States. There's an older tradition of plantation which is associated with the plantation of people, the plantation of crops, and the altering of the natural environment to suit imperial needs, mm. which was particularly developed in, in Ireland. And this idea of the human as plant was, was developed through eugenics, through, uh, through people like Luther Burbank in the 20th century, from which mm. all the McDonald's potatoes come from, the human as plant, where they saw the human as plant. And it's also important in relation to uh, crystallography, as we'll mm -hmm. see, liquid crystals were discovered when they were researching plants because plants were important. The tobacco mosaic virus was critical in relation to virology. Modern virology comes from study of plants. So the mixture of plantation developed from an idea of the garden, a kind of mechanization of the a biblical garden of the hidden sense, the material reflection of that, uh, combined with the idea of the automaton, is the basis on which we're getting a global governance by automatic means, which aims right. to centralize the control of our life. The issue is not whether artificial intelligence will be conscious or not really. The issue is to what extent will the totality of our life be sucked into a machine which will mm -hmm. govern every aspect of our life as Philip K. Right. Dick represented, whereby he's one of his characters is negotiating with payments to his door, whether his door will let him out of his apartment. So uh, 
into that into that so we're talking about an automatic state of the world as what we we face and part of the or the origins of that i place uh, i place in particular in the anglo uh, anglo american uh, tradition that follows on from in the anglo sphere empire follows on in particular and originates in france with the plantagenets that, that this is the real base and in particular when when the plantagenets mixing with the Vikings, come to Britain uh, as Normans, and they impress their system uh, on, on the Anglo-Saxons. And this is, this is a crucial point that it took me a long time to understand, although I've studied legal history, which is a forgotten element in this course, that right. the Normans didn't really give the legal system to the Anglo-Saxons. They built on top of it. And what the Normans became expert at was rules, in making rules, and in utilizing rules to achieve their purposes. Out of that came the trust corporation, for example, which was critical. The reason why the Chinese didn't develop trading links in, in, in the Far East at the time that the East India Company did was because they didn't have any structure like the trust that could actually bring people together. So the trust is a type of legal person. So we forget about legal personhood in the context of, of the ideas of personhood. So the trust, which, of course, the basis of antitrust legislation in the United States, the basis of uh, and trusts now effectively run the world in different form through investment uh, companies, was it was a uniquely a unique contribution via the British Empire with their genius for rules. Look at the basis of all the major sports, for example, from horse racing to golf to foot to soccer to rugby. Wasn't that the the British invented these, it was that they, they crystallized in rule forms what was meant to be done. And then when we come to the, the basis, the technology that's going to run the automatic machine of government cybernetics, it's based on utilizing rules to communicate to machines. So this genius for rules was the basis of people like Turing. It's a continuation of a strong tradition of government. And cybernetics was designed to bring different disciplines so that they would be able to govern us better. So there's a total continuity, uh, in my view, in relation to the development of, of this automatic machine or this automatic system. And I think uh, part of the in that process, Francis Bacon is very, very important, representing the Atlanticist idea of a, a secret community of scientists who rule, uh, who rule unbeknownst to people and derive their power. Uh, true senior <clears throat> navigation, which the, how the the the, the British Empire evolved uh, and, and developed telecommunications power that we talked about before. So um, I just uh, I, so I just want to put in the uh, in the context of when we're talking about uh, the machine. Now we have to begin to mm -hmm. uh, update it to look ahead and to look at right. the crystal ball to well, begin to anticipate. Let me ask you this now. now I, so all the things you mean, you said so much right there. I mean, you Sorry, no. farming, right? And <laughs> that was a lot. But, was I mean, so isn't great. that what with the with farming people, right? Is that not what the Chinese is doing with the Uyghurs right now, right? They're using as as organ harvesting plants, right? And my, I know my my daughter was reading this the book. What was the name of that movie and and the book? Uh, it's about this boarding school where all the clones go. And uh, when people, you know, when the, the the actual person needs a part, 
they just go to the clone and take the part out right yeah. so this is already and this is already it's, it's like uh it's uh, advanced advertising in a way right so there's there's that but there's this other part what you mentioned with francis bacon and new atlantis right where the scientists run things and and now we know what happens when scientists run things after the last three years right but um but interesting with francis bacon and a lot of people try to to point him to this as this proto rosicrucian but if you compare francis bacon with the original rosicrucian documents they're nothing alike the rosicrucians were or we, we would call them traditionalists <laughs> you know they they wanted to maintain the the, the christian uh idea of the microcosm in relationship to the macrocosm the, the christian idea of the of uh the two books the book of god and the book of nature francis bacon isn't doing that at all right i think those are important distinctions yep yeah not at all and uh and i think you know we're and i was my question then james it seems to me, and I don't want to get too ahead of myself and not get too excited about it, but it's been uh, nice to watch over the last couple of weeks. Now, part of the machine starting to short circuit. Have you know? Have you? Do you think that's 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 what's no. going on? No, no, <laughs> absolutely no, no. Guido, um, Guido would I also don't. say no. Yeah. Uh. Uh, and I, no. I, I sympathize with you, Mike. Yeah, tell us, James. No, this is a, this is a seam between a, a phase transition, I, I, I think. <clears throat> uh, it's it's a, a lot of people hope uh, that they're seeing holes uh, appearing uh, in the system, but it's full steam ahead. Everything is on target. Everything is 15 to 20 steps ahead of us. This this is the problem. So right. uh, I, I don't see that at all. No, Every, everything is on target. And what we may be seeing is a greater hubris because they believe they are closer to a situation where the straight jacket is finally fastened on us unfortunately but that's what i what i believe in uh so the um and again if we look back at bernal in in uh the world of flesh and the devil 1929 where he describes what was going to happen that scientific corporations were going to take over the world by stealth and they were going to uh, we were governed by a scientific elite, and he's in the vein of of H.T. Um, Wells, etc., and Haldane, and he's a four, you know, Arthur C. Clarke agrees with everything he has to say. Right. And Bernal, you think that's of course, a seminal is, book, James? Sorry, the the world of flesh and the devil. The world of flesh book. and the devil. A lot of yeah. people want us to kind of raise up certain books and almost pause. This and is, say that. if you want to understand what the plans are, this is yeah. is the one. Uh, he was. Uh, well, he was a great crystallographer, so he was at the center of the studies of crystallography. So he studied water. He also, interestingly, which is relevant later on, to, he studied graphite, which is a critical, mm. a critical aspect in this story. The, the basis of graphene, uh, which is relevant to, to, to transhumanism. Um, he also was in, looked at. Uh, or would, would have been discussing the tobacco mosaic virus and this was the critical one in relation to virology and of course tobacco is is a, is a plant that the empires are always interested right. in it's, it's a premium a premium one uh, and he's at the center of the the study of of the group that leads to dna so 
they knew that, uh, if you remember, Schrodinger writes his essay on what is life in 42, 43, and presents his lectures in Dublin. And he anticipates that life is an aperiodic crystal. And then they kind of verify that. But they're, they're looking at light. Crystallography, just to explain to people, uh, really developed with the X-ray. So the X-ray allowed people to shine light, effectively, because the X-ray is light, into the crystal to get a diffraction pattern to enable them to interpret the internal structure of crystals. So that's the right. critic. So we have light and, and, and crystals, which is, which is very, an important relationship in uh, our discussion. Uh, and so, so Bernal is working on these things. And his, some of his, like Dorothy Hodgkin, was a, she worked on uh, uh, and developed a, a lot of, or studied crystals. One of her students was Margaret Thatcher, who also studied crystals. Most of the crystallographers were Marxists, and a lot of the leading ones were Marxists, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, and you know who has a degree died, in crystallography is uh, Ivan Illich. You know, I just thought I'd bring that up early. And I wonder, again, like the people implementing the machine know a lot about him. But uh, I think one of his first graduate uh, degrees was at the University of Florence in crystallography, uh, Ivan Illich. So it's almost like, you know, the machine and the foes of the machine needs and i was just you know i interrupted and i apologize but to let our viewers know that you know we invited james to talk about crystals so we'll be very yeah. upfront to you know the conversation's going to stay on that for a little while we segued nicely but um you know so we started james wanted to kind of weigh into the machine a little bit the technostructure very grateful for that and then we're moving and i think we'll be working on two fronts today but you know crystallography instead of just the, the pop culture thing but, you know, there's deep ramifications here in the history of what's being implemented. And I might just take a little bit of time here to say, Michael, you said you had a, a story that might be a great segue here. And we'd set James singing his song. I have a couple, but okay. well, just, you know, so another person who was interested in crystallography, but in a very different way was Rudolf Steiner, right? Nice. And uh, I used to have the book. I gave it to a friend of mine years ago. I shouldn't have given it to him. Sorry. Sorry, Adrian Benvenuto. <laughs> oh, he's a <laughs> Send it back. Uh, he cribbed your book. I haven't heard from him for decades. But anyway, it's uh, it's a he didn't write the book, but what he what he did is he noticed and he brought it up to one of his biodynamic farming researchers. He said, Do you ever notice how the ice crystals that form on, on the windows of the butcher shop are different than the crystals that form on the windows of the flower shop? Maybe you should check that out. And they started to research this. And so and and which is interesting, it's a fascinating study. Uh, about all about a lot of it leads to uh in, in in the book i'm talking about which was i can't remember agriculture of tomorrow i think it is that uh the th there's a real difference in the way things crystallize uh say at the summer solstice than at the winter solstice which is an important thing but another thing so this is a something goes back when i was a waldorf teacher a demonstration i used to do with the kids about crystals and a lot of people probably don't know this, but we all know that you know wristwatches and other things work on crystal mechanisms, right? Uh, but you can make light with a crystal. So I would bring the kids into a, a dark closet, <laughs> like we have this big closet for supplies, have them all sit on the floor, close the door, it's pitch black, and if you strike two two crystals together, they'll start to glow. And a lot of people don't know this, I think. And it emits this really interesting odor. It's, uh, I think someone told me it's ozone. I'm not sure if that's true or not. But whatever it is, 
you can you can make light with crystals right so there's there's so much to this that we don't even know and i think what happens is and, and of course in biodynamic farming using quartz crystal powdered quartz crystals is an enormously important part of the regimen of the preparations that you use on the plants speaking of plants um but what happens is if you mention this this subject crystals people just get you know this throwback image to the 1980s and 90s of everybody wearing crystals right and, and it's that's kind of a, again in a very big way psychology superficial thing yeah. right but there's much more to it than that and that's why i'm glad james is on the show today so let, let me before i forget some of the points that you made there that's right there's a confusion about minerals and crystals so uh, uh and also if we go back of course Kepler wrote about snowflakes and we're talking about crystals and the, and the variety although there's a similarity between them the different so um yeah you talked about uh the piezoluminescent effect of crystals and this can happen it can happen with sugar and salt in in, in your larder for, for example but in all the sites around Ireland there were these quartz stones and quartz is associated with is a tr transmitter with uh, resonance and that's why we're, we're we're communicating now i'm not looking at you i'm looking at a, a liquid crystal uh yeah. representation of you we forget about a crystal all the computers depend uh on on using crystals and crystals there's a book called crystal clear which argues that crystals were the most significant technology in world war ii it's quite huh. it's quite incredible so they're of strategic importance historically huh. and esoterically they're they have this association with light and this is critical this this is the association that's that's most important crystals and light and and, and uh, we'll we'll develop uh that uh so they give they we can make light if we express uh, if we if we distort them or or bash them uh we have that uh, tribal luminescence in various ways to to create light and and uh ancient people knew about this the the nature of crystals and what attracted people to them uh, consistently, like a ruby, for example, reflects a deep awareness of possibility. For example, the ruby is used in lasers. So there's, a, there's an association between things that people are attracted to and high technology. And I believe that that attraction is built in some way into our, our makeup, that we recognize that certain things are valuable and that it's laid on the path before us once once we explore them but the other thing that, to, to remember is that we are crystals and there's a there's a an argument or, or a description by a man called uh james oshman who says that the human is a, a a liquidated uh sorry a hydrated liquid crystal so mm. the mixture of water and crystals so myelin in your nerve the nerve sheet is a liquid crystal that's why things can can happen so quickly you have magnetite uh, in in the brain which gives us a sense of orientation quartz and that is used for orientation sunstone they use that that's probably how the monks got to the united states how the vikings uh, uh, were able to navigate uh, on cloudy days using crystals that's quite and interestingly there's an interesting connection um, the origin of the word clock is is disputed, but one one link links it back to Columba, and I often wonder whether the connection was actually associated with stone, which is the Irish word is similar. But that's that's another another point. Right. But crystals <clears throat> in the ancient world 
uh, were important. So they're associated with interdimensionality. That's why you can make a radio or crystals, and they may be used that again when they cut us off and they when they when they break down the internet. We may be making our own radios. Because they they work Foxhell radios because because they work um, interdimensionality and communication with other beings. So John D would have used crystals to communicate with angels. H.G. Uh, Wells uh, writes a story in 1897 called The Crystal Egg, where he the, the man in Seven Dials in Covent Garden communicates with, with beings on Mars through a crystal. And this anticipates the technology. So they knew, they had an insight that these things, and probably experience that these things enabled communication with crystals. So the, again, the connections with the with with the, the good people i don't want to mention them again i get into trouble with them uh, that we call <laughs> i know <laughs> that happened to me too yeah yeah i don't i don't my, my path overflowed after talking to you guys last time about i don't think they were happy about us talking too much so my bath overflowed so i said okay but they, okay. They, they kept losing my keys for me yeah, yeah. Uh, they, so but, uh, what i was gonna say so in yeah. my one of my my first book which is uh Literature and the Encounter with God in Post-Reformation England. I have a chapter on John Dee in there. Yeah. Which compares what he was doing to, to technology. Because he was yeah. using te a technology yes. to contact those whatever spirits those were he was talking to, even though, yeah. even though he thought they were much, much kinder and beneficent than they were. Yeah. But that's what it was, was technology. Yeah. And if you... There's a series I've never seen it, but I've read about it, the 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 Black Mirror and the Black Mirror and, and, and in relation to technology and um, I don't watch any series anymore. But and neither do I. Yeah, he, he says the Black Mirror is the was the front of the mobile phone, but the real Black Mirror in occult terms is the scrying stone that people like Obsidian. Right. Yeah, he says that, but it's actually an older idea, and I'm not saying I'm not disputing that that's his origin, but. It's a scrying stone that they use, the obsidian, et cetera, to yeah. tell the future. The show stone, it's interesting, show stone, and you're watching the, or we're, people are watching the Black Mirror show, because sure. uh, yeah. there's something about communication with, with other dimensions. But in spiritual terms as well, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this, this, is, this is my reading of it, actually, actually uh, where it fits into the consistency is that, and I, I never could get this about, Ye are the salt of the earth. And then you read the various descriptions of what that means. Ye are the salt of the earth. And then it proceeds. Uh, Jesus talks about uh, you're the light of the world. So how do those two together? Uh, now, my belief, uh, consistent with Swedenborg and others, is that there are different layers to the uh, to sacred texts, that there, that there are different levels of meaning. And some of them are hidden, and some of them are for, for future reference. But if you take the idea that a human is a crystal, well, then the year the salt of the earth makes extreme sense. And especially mm -hmm. taking the view that uh, the human is, is, t is totally a, a hydrated liquid crystal or some other form. So uh, you're, you're the salt of the earth, but you can lose your saltiness and then you'll be just trodden underfoot. If you mm -hmm. lose the form, the crystal form, the structure of what you are now, you can lose the capacity to be what you are in terms of transhumanism. Proceeding from there to, you are the light of the uh, uh, of the world. Now, the, 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 or this is I don't know the difference between the earth and the world in that context. This is the this is the a critical distinction, and this is the main point I would 
put forward into this discourse that we have a great dichotomy that helps us explain two different mindsets consistent with your discussions before and we've talked about in relation to say Ian McGilchrist left brain right brain mm -hmm. we have another distinction we have a distinction between people who want a crystalline world who want to project a crystal form onto the management of the world and onto humans and others who understand that the crystal form is the container the grail the the philosopher's stone from on which the light operates that the key thing is the light that shines through it and that's what so the continuation i am the light of the world refers to the origin of the light that comes through through this process so the crystalline mindset for example if you compare Teilhard de Chardin and Jacques Ellul, you get two different versions of their conception of the human. Now, I think that Teilhard de Chardin takes a crystalline view of the world extrapolation. And associated with this mindset is a desire to put structure onto the world. And to so Teilhard de Chardin's idea of removing the unpredictability is consistent with the extrapolation of a crystal view, which mistakes and obfuscates what we are it it confuses the carrier and the the, the source the content which i believe does does a little take up specifically tayard in a certain book james you're, uh, you know, you're talking book, about too big the book is the the better one is bernard charbonneau now i don't know if this is available in english but it's called oh. it's called something like um Edard de chardin a prophet of totalitarianism and i think it was written in 1963 oh. the key year so mm -hmm. Charbonneau, Charbonneau, uh, and th there's a website for Charbonneau and his books. Well, I, I, I'm not sure if it's available in English, but it, it, he took the Chardin on and Alul did as well. They were friends and they both, uh, they both saw something in, in uh, Chardin that they didn't like. I, I'm not a fan of, of, of uh, the Chardin. Now, there's this another word which yeah. is important associated with crystallization is petrification. So the process of an animal or a fossil happening happens in a crystal form entering into the body. And it's interesting, of course, then we have uh, Peter, you are the rock on which we built the church. And uh, we have this idea, well, people literally are petrified in recent fear is, is a mm -hmm. uh, type of management. And we have the debate about the, the structure of the church. And in that context, the church is built upon the rock, but it's not... <laughs> The church is not meant to be a rock itself. The church mm -hmm. is not meant to be that. The, the words are the, 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 the church is built on it. So the church is something else which is built on that structure. And I think people, it's again the danger of confusing what uh, two different things, the form of something and the content of this and the, the essence of what we are, the spiritual dimension. Mm -hmm. So this, this distinction, I think, runs, runs, through all or, or through a lot of spiritual tradition. I hope we stay on this a little bit because it's fascinating. You know, it, one clarification. So like, I'm even thinking of our <clears> listeners, James, you know, the form, yeah. I'm going to want you to say this another way. But so if we, is this somewhat analogous to, you know, you say the crystal, almost like worshiping the crystal as opposed to the crystal that can serve as a vehicle for light shining through. Is this like a, a philosophy of tools, you know, where, um, you know, we, Convivial tools. Well, again, I'll go back to Ivan Illich. You know, tools that serve conviviality versus tools that enslave us. Um, 
And let me introduce one more thing, you know, another reference. When you brought crystals into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, there could be some literary people here, but uh, as good in one sense as some of his novels, you know, Stendhal wrote a book called On Love. And, you know, when you're talking with college students, yeah. they all want to know about this. Freud said, greatest thing on love ever written, you know, and Stendhal was light years ahead of Freud. But his image for love was, of course, crystallization. Yes. You know, when you fall in love with somebody, you see, you know, all these crystals forming on that person. Right. You know, and I'm wondering, you know, when you brought up the gospel, that came back to me, like washed all over me. That, you know, love itself can be in its best description, somewhat analogous to a crystal. Mm -hmm. Romantic love, romantic love. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm just helping, you know, I want, I think for our listeners, you know, um, and Michael, you might say what you're hearing too, teasing apart what James is saying, because he's making it seminal, because we have, again, Ivan Illich, Jacques Ellul on technology, then we have Teilhard. This is really important stuff. Um, Michael, do you hear, how would you describe it, what you're hearing? Well, I think part of it is, I think these tools, how, I mean, I think when they come into the body, right, they change the body. And I don't know if you caught this. I wrote about it, and I did a, this article on transhumanism a few weeks ago for uh, the American Mind. Um, it's called. I think you can find it. What's it called? And it's called the Droid Stares Back. Okay. And in there, I refer to this video I had, I saw right before I wrote this thing uh, by Mary Harrington. I don't know if you know her. Yeah. She's an English, obviously of Irish ancestry, English academic, and she just came out with a book that's like a torch against feminism. Mm -hmm. And in her her view, yes, transhumanism starts with the pill because it changes changes being. It changes what it is to be a human being, to be a woman in particular. And I think yeah. we can see right now that the 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 full frontal attack on the human being by the transhumanists is on women is on the female, is on Sophia, right? I think that's and, very important. And she points out, and I and I, I showed it to some students uh, to my, a couple of my classes when it came out because I was so intrigued by it. And I asked the women, you know, because her argument is that, you know, the pill changes who you are and what you are and you become a commodity. And I asked the girls, I said, was well, this, this is your experience? Is this, uh, you know, harmonize with what your experience of the world is. And I said, you know, and I think we've all heard that women who go off the pill suddenly find they're no longer attracted to their partner, you know, because like, ooh, where'd you come from? <laughs> you know, because they've been utterly changed. And I think, um, you know, and I have to think with what we've seen with the vaccines for the last three years is how I, I would be interested in seeing what the, the, the crystalline structure of those things is graphite actually changes sure. being right. Yeah, a few points. Uh, to to the last point, the latter point first. The people that worked on DNA, uh, Crick and Watson, that were around Bernal. Huh. Of course, Watson goes over to Cold Spring Harbor, and they begin to continue the work there. So the DNA begins to merge with cybernetics, which is why on September the 12th of last year, Biden issues his, his thing about biotech, whereby they're, they're, they're seeking to be able to program the human body. The barrier between the two is going, because there's no real barrier. They come from the same military industrial complex. Mm -hmm. I disagree slightly with uh, with Harrington, uh, but, or, or, or finesse, I think, or uh, the point. The pill is critical as 
an example of prosthesis. So there's no question as an example of transhumanism. But you have to add in things beforehand, which sound innocuous, but like the motor car, because some people regard the human in the motor car as analogous to a cyborg, whereby the system reduces the human. Now, it's just a different, and that's what Mumford would have talked about. So the, the pill as prosthesis is, now again, if you look at the 60s, it, it's, it's, it's what makes the 60s. Mm-hmm. So when, and this is where I depart again, I, 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 I don't go along with McKenna in relation because he write, writes his essay in 1999 um, about, about psychedelics in the information age where he's this very much in favor of prosthesis. Mm-hmm. So prosthesis at this stage, therefore, seems to be as well a big social engineering thing. So whether it be yeah. psychedelics or the pill or all the crystal, crystal meth, crystal, all the drugs which are crystal substances, mm-hmm. uh, which are used, uh, LSD, uh, they're all crystalline substances which are used to change the mind, and they often come from labs, and they're often promoted by CIA, by the deep state, etc. So uh, th- there's, uh, th- there is a, a close thing. So to add to Harrington's uh, view, I would say that we have to, there's a spectrum of transhumanism, which if we put at one end, say the Amish or people that used to live in uh, Ireland 100 years ago or, or, or whatever, and at the other end, total merger, then there's a whole spectrum. And we're probably, if it's one to 10, we're probably at four now going over into an irreversible down the, the, the other side. We don't realize how far we've come in this and, and the the. I mean, who heard of Zoom a couple of years ago? Mm-hmm. Now we're all in the liquid crystal zoo and being dragged in and made more dependent. Of course, there's great opportunities and in the last chance saloon, but they will take them opportunities. Yeah. Away. The last chance saloon, I like that. Yeah. 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 So uh, the, uh, and interestingly, because we're, we're talking about the dark crystal specifically and the dark crystal, which we're going to elaborate on, uh, comes from uh, Jim Henson. So Jim Henson, People said Muppets, Sesame Street, and therefore he's not taken seriously. But he was actually a very, as I've uh, as I've discovered, because what happened, I came to this distinction or began to see this distinction uh, when I'm exploring all these issues about the crystal, the crystal technology, the critical nature of crystallography, this the the, the fundamental aspect. There's a, a, a sense of generalized crystallography which actually unites all the different elements of science and a lot of the understanding of how light behaves came about by looking at crystals and how light shines mm-hmm. through and biorefringence, etc. So it's at the basis of, uh, of a lot of technology. And Jim Henson, people forget, made some uh, famous films in the 60s. He was kind of avant-garde. He made uh, a film called, a documentary called Youth 68. Uh, and he, the, the, the title is, uh, well, he, he's, things are going to change or maybe they won't. It, it was quite ambiguous. He understood <coughs> that things may not be changing, and and there was a there's, there's a trailer you can see on YouTube where one of the guys, one of the the, the hippies says, "Oh yeah, it's it's all it's all dynamic, man, and and uh, we have to get Oedipal and kill the father." And I was thinking, yeah, that's it. That that's really, really <laughs> statement. This is this is what the process in many ways was about. Mm-hmm. The the crucial role of the father figure or displacement of the father figure uh, in, in this context. But Henson made also made a film about the, uh, called The Cube, which was 
which was a kind of Samuel Beckett type film. So it, it was it was very. He also did later the 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 the, the storyteller series about about fables, and he, he does of course uh, Sesame Street and the Muppets and Fraggle Rock, which he 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 claims to have been trying to use to promote world peace. But he was a very spiritual person. He started off. Uh, as a Christian scientist and left that and then in the context of the counterculture was interested in oriental thinking and Buddhism and Taoism and then by the time he comes to write this film uh, with a, a chap called Brian Froud in, Froud in, in England he's very much into set speaks the huh. channel you know the Jane Roberts uh, channeled uh, thing which started i think in in, in 64 again uh, or six, uh, around that time which is another uh, the critical period so uh, so he he couldn't understand some of these things but he manifested himself in in, in the dark crystal so the dark crystal uh, was a film that he wanted he wanted to make now when i when i came to that to say, i went looking for a representation and i haven't seen the film since uh, in totality but the idea of the film and his idea of the film accords totally with what I had come to. So in the film, if, if I can explain just a little bit of the, the, the structure or the, 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 the synopsis of the film, that's okay? Or the... mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in the film, what you have is a race mm -hmm. of people called the uh, Urskexes who are meant to be going home to wherever they came from and they were an enlightened species. But there's an accident and they're they're left on, on the on the planet and then the, the the crystal is an essential part of their governance structure of their life if, if you like and the there's an accident or a deliberate attack on the crystal and a shard breaks off and this splits the people in two so we have an evil an evil race an evil race of people and in the end, there's only 10 of them, and they, they, they manifest or represent the seven deadly sins and the worst of, of, of humans, kind of bird-like reptilian uh, characters, which he used based on a, uh, an illustration from Alice in Wonderland or, or, or somewhere back then. So that, that kind of reptilian, uh, greedy, militaristic, uh, brutal, cruel, sadistic figures. As against that, he has... The opposite group, which are the mystics, who are who love tradition, who are non-violent, and the story came apparently when he was snowed in with his daughter in JFK Airport, and he wrote down the the basis of, of, of this idea. And in in one of the documentaries, the, the, they reproduce his notes. And what he did was he he drew a, a dichotomy on one side. The scientific mind, the rational mind, the, the characteristics, if you like, of a materialist mindset, uh, focusing on, on on militarism and science, and on the other side, the spiritual values of of, of kindness and spirituality and imagination, etc. So, I mean, when I saw that, you could see there was a deep. This man had a deep sense of what that duality was. Uh, He's looking at the right blueprint, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, he he, re he really had a sense, so so you can understand mm -hmm. that he's coming at it from from a deep level, and so there, there's no humans. He made the the film is is totally uh, made by puppets, so there's a great level of artistry in it. But 
what's important, and this ties into, I think, the Sophia, your the discussions about Sophia, your discussions about left brain, right brain. And uh, for me, uh, another description or how I'd interpret it, but you have this split. So you have a fall or a split, and the split is between these two mindsets. Mm -hmm. So the long and the long and the short of it, without on, on any a spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it, but <laughs> uh, I, I, we have to go to the end again <laughs> on this. But in the end, the the end of the uh, uh, of the film uh, involves a prophecy, the recovery of the of the shard which restores the crystal. At a stage when there's a conjunction, and there's a conjunction, as we know now, between Jupiter and Venus, mm -hmm. there was a conjunction of their three suns. And if this conjunction, if the the bad guys could do a magical ceremony at this stage, well, then they would gain immortality. And this is very interesting because we get into the the utilization of power to achieve immortality, the transhumanist dream, and also these bad guys. There's a, there's two there's a race, there's two other little races, podlings and, and gelflings. And these, these bad guys, uh, they take the life essence out of the poor little podlings, which I think is another interesting mm -hmm. uh, dimension. Now, and also, I believe that Jim Henson knew a lot more about the world than his, his you know, mm -hmm. his, the innocent things. I think he understood about the military industrial complex very, very well. <laughs> so I think some of these stories are trying to tell us deeper things that they know about, as in, and the great book about the machine and the future. Of course, the seminal book is That Hideous Strength by C.S. Lewis, mm -hmm. where he anticipates science. The university has been taken over already in 1945. They're taken over by what he called the progressive mm -hmm. scientists. Uh, so it's not the American, it's not later on. He had, a, he had it done by then. Scientific takeover, concentration, link with with satanism and link with extraterrestrials i mean it's it's, it's all there and he, he had communication with some of the people that are around bernal uh, i believe uh, and certainly arthur c clark but so what happens in the end of, of of or what what jim henson is suggesting is that the two have to join back together again the problem is this distinction so the problem is not just with the materialist folk the problem there's a critique of the mystics as well, because the mystics can't really do anything. They can preserve the do their magic ceremonies, which kind of made me think about the Latin mass in some way. <laughs> so some, some of the stuff we've been talking about, yeah. Uh, yeah, nice. the, the, there was uh, they were doing the right thing, but it didn't translate into effective force against the force that they opposed. And essentially, there's this split, and so the split in some ways reflects. The loss of Sophia, or the split of uh, the split of the anima and mm -hmm. uh, and the animus, which is what the painting behind me was was about. That was why, why I stood up there because uh, I think this is a critical a critical point that the this distinction when in relation to Sophia and that and, and and the contemplation of where that fits in, it also raises questions about this figure. The light-bearing figure, the hermit, the, the 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 animus, and what Jung said was that in in the Red Book, there's a there's a, a link about the Senex or the old man could be an right. old woman and Salome, and Salome of course 
is a figure that was very important. Uh, Michael has talked about that uh, in relation to the the decadent decadent art and symbolism. It was an mm. important figure, and uh, the implication from Jung is that if the relationship between the wise aspect, the wise animus, and the anima is not balanced, well, then you will get the Salome figure, uh, 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 the Salome figure emerging, the destructive aspect of the anima, and you will get the weak animus emerging. So that right. we have to we have to question as well when we're looking at Sophia, what is it that's not right about the animus figure? Sorry, I went on for for, for no. I went on too long there. So what isn't right? Um, what isn't right? Okay. Two figures came to mind when I was thinking about this. Uh, Jordan Peterson and Tyson Fury. If we look at contemporary <laughs> figures. Okay, go so, ahead. I mean, yeah. we, can, we can look at figures but, but in, in the 18th century that we would know, but they don't make any, any, any sense to people in the contemporary context. I'll tell you about my premonitions about, about now, I can't prove this because these I didn't write down, but my, my wife would certainly... Uh, 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 corroborate this. Uh, when I saw Tyson Fury first, I said years ago he'll be world heavyweight boxing champion and he'll probably be one of the greatest of all time. And I come from my father was an Irish amateur champion, uh, mm. Gene Tunney, the world heavyweight champion that back ball, wow. that, that beat Jack Dempsey was a distant relation. His name is mm. James Tunney actually as well. So we were always interested in boxing. Uh, but but this guy when I saw him, I said he's going to be world heavyweight champion. And for years and years, people said, no, we can't box. Even a lot of people that I know that are bo boxers, no, we can't box. I couldn't figure it out. Anyway, so he became world heavyweight champion. So I've always been interested uh, in him. Uh, Jordan Peterson, I had two predictions about him. Again, these are not ones I was making public. Uh, later on, or not after I heard him initially, I said, the man's going to have a nervous breakdown. I'm totally sure about that. I saw it too. Clear as day. Yeah. Clear as Clear day. As day yeah. But my first instinct, the first time I seen them, and, and I did communicate this uh, again to, to people, was that I was convinced that this man intends to present a simulacrum of religion. That, that's it, that, that, that was his objective, that he yeah. was going to present a simulacrum of existing religion, uh, which was acceptable to a globalizing secular modern world. Mm. That, that's what that's what I what I felt about him. and I still do I, I, I it's being corroborated I haven't changed my view mm. on that uh no I again accepting all his good points and and all that and all that I don't want to I'm not, I'm not uh but but just in relation to, to my particular thing so how does this in, in relation to the two of them both Tyson Fury after being world heavyweight champion or around the time, he also came out and, and, and I talked about suicide attempts. And there's this kind of aspect that any strong male figures have to reveal some weakness or they're not acceptable to the to the mainstream media. So they have to they have to demonstrate weakness as well. I'm not saying that's not there. I'm not saying it's not authentic. But I mean, they didn't accept. He, he had certain political views which he had to stop communicating. Uh, but uh, there's this kind of acceptance, uh, you know, of a flaw that has to be presented in order to to make themselves acceptable. But the, the the real the real relevant comparison came to me in relation to, uh, well, 
Jordan Peterson's talking about God all the time. He's talking about the relationship. Does he believe in God? Now, and here, and there's the interesting thing. So when he's asked directly about, about does he believe in God, what does he say? Well, it depends on what you mean by do, depends on what you mean by you, depends on what you mean by believe, depends on what you mean by God. So, okay, I understand that, but there's weasel words as well at a certain point. And his, his daughter had said that, you know, they weren't allowed to go to Christian thing, etc. Now, so at the same time, he's talking about all these things. He's talking about all these things as if, or he, he says as well, he acts as if God exists. Now, acting is another thing. As if is another thing, but that's the language of simulacrum. If we contrast that with Tyson Fury, um, the Tyson Fury is, is not an intellectual, uh, but I believe he believes in, now I'm not saying that this is crucial to anyone's view, but in relation to the contrast, uh, he's a very uh, religious or spiritual uh, person, as a lot of the Irish travelers, his father was Irish, uh, his mother was uh, Irish, they were moving around, they were all, but they have a very deep spiritual faith and a very uh, genuine, that sense, which uh, I would link with Ireland as a kind of belief system, which is kind of total non-intellectual, but it's very, very real uh, for them. Uh, and I saw when his brother was fighting in Saudi Arabia and the father was doing an interview and saying he was fasting over there, which was which mm -hmm. was nice, nice to hear, even though he had a criminal record and all that. And he was a tough man, but he's still very, very spiritual. There's two ends. So when Tyson Fury is explaining about his mental crisis and getting help and all this, it's kind of ignored that his crucial point of where it began to change was when he said he got down on his knees and asked God for help. So, so, so that was critical. And he said George Foreman had done that as well. And he thought that, that you know, it kind of registered with him. So he, despite all his mental help, the spiritual element was there. And there's another very, a very, very interesting uh, piece or evidence or, or interplay. And I don't know if you've ever seen that, if you're interested in boxing, but it, the, the, there's a clip on YouTube. It was an interview I was fascinated when I saw between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Uh, I, I don't know if you follow boxing at all, but... Uh, I know the names, I've seen some yeah. of it, yeah. So De Deontay Wilder was uh, a big American boxer, undefeated, uh, fantastic puncher. And Tyson Fury has always been undefeated. He became world heavyweight champion. And Deontay Wilder was the best boxer available. So Fury comes over to box him uh, in, in America. Uh, so now Tyson Fury is six foot nine and the other guy is six foot seven or something. So they're really... They're really powerful, powerful uh, <coughs> men. So in, I don't know, they, they, so they fought three times. And in the, I think it was the first fight, there's an interview with Tyson Fury and uh, Deontay Wilder. And they're sitting down. And then the alter ego of, of Deontay Wilder is the bronze bomber. So during the interview, he starts talking and saying, I'm going to beat you. You can't beat me. It's impossible to beat me. And Tyson Fury says, well, well, who, who's talking to me? Is this your alter ego? Is this who, who's talking to me? And he says, you can't beat me. And then he starts doing kind of some mantras and talking and, and a bit. 
and the and, and Tyson Fury saying he was he was looking perplexed and saying what what are you uh, what is this I'm dealing with is this a he was beginning to realize that Deontay Wilder seemed to be suggesting that he was channeling a spirit or that he was talking to a spirit yeah. it's a fascinating it's a fascinating uh, it's well worth looking at it's re, 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 oh, yeah. and I believe it to be genuine and then Fury says I can, you're already beat. You can't beat me because I have the light of Jesus Christ behind me and none of you people, and you shouldn't be, I'm going to beat you because I don't like you anymore because I didn't realize you're dealing with all that spirit stuff. And I, it's a fascinating wow. real, real uh, world example. So th those examples prove to me that Tyson Fury understood at the deepest level that spirituality is a real force and that he he used the real spiritual for everything else came on that i don't think i don't i haven't heard a similar thing from uh from from jordan peter and so so this figure i had behind me this this kind of hammer figure is yeah. conflicted in the current stage because it's not meant to be conflicted if you notice uh, in a few times as well that jordan peterson has started to wear funny clothes he's even worn clothes seem to be based on a cartoon character one color down one side one color down another side it seems to be presenting this conflicted uh, image well he even identified that outfit as sh as sheep and goats right oh well, there you go yeah there, really? yeah, there, there you go so 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 for me huh. there are two male male figures that are seen to be strong in, in different ways and in many ways tyson fury would accept that he's been a bad role model in loads of things. But in relation to the fundamentals, I would trust Tyson Fury personally more than a very, very intellectual uh, person that doesn't ultimately hmm. uh, present spirituality as, as the key thing and present what I would call a, a sociological simulacrum. That, that's oh, what interesting. That's, that's, I've been that's thinking, my, I've been thinking yeah. a lot about, maybe we'll have you back on and talk about this. Yeah. about the the concept of christian knighthood right which i think i think it's it's been killed out in the culture and in christianity in particular and i've been thinking a lot about it recently you know in fact i my plan is to maybe today to write a blog post about it but i think uh we should talk to you about this in some future time james because i think this is in a, in a way it seems like a missing piece because uh, so much of Christianity has been gender neutralized, right? Hmm. It's been demasculated uh, de and, and the feminine has been reduced to nothing. I mean, when we think about uh, uh, women priests, for instance, and I don't want to get too far away from crystal, yeah. <laughs> but we think about it, right? And the reason I never liked the idea is because it's, it's, a, it's unisex. It's not one. It's not male or female. It's neither flesh nor fish, right? Mm -hmm. And and that's why uh, um, Alison Milbank wrote a wonderful essay for Jesus Imagination on, and she's a, a Anglican priest, where she says she prefers the term priestess, but it makes all the other priests in, in the Anglican Communion nuts to talk about it. But she wrote this essay about the the feminine charisms of priesthood which I thought was brilliant. And it was not until that moment that I understood what that could even mean because it had always been neutralized into, into this asexual 
no man, no man and no woman's land, right? And I think you're on, I, I think the idea of a, of a Christian knighthood in, in this postmodern context, whatever that means, is something that, that, that we need to think about again. Yeah, I, I think, again, going back to what we've talked about before, uh, and again, it applies to men and women, the anima and the animus, as, as we know. And I, the, the St. Michael figure, Michael, is a key representation mm -hmm. of, and, 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 and the interesting thing, of course, is about but why, why does he have a sword and the nature of the sword? And, and, and I would argue that this is the, a sword of light, a sword of discernment. It's about, it's about the disciplined aspect uh, necessary to understand the world firstly, because whatever I struggle in the future, it's not going to be, it's not going to be as it was uh, in, in the last century. It's about an intellect. There's an intellectual element to it, and a, mm -hmm. and a spiritual element that's associated. That, that's important. And again, Bridget keeps coming up for me. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I was looking at the etymology of the word bride. And again, it's, 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 they can't be certain. They often put it down to Germanic languages, knowing a little bit more about them. Now, I'm not as convinced about that. And I'm, I'm a bit curious about whether actually it was linked to Bridget and Bride, as she was called in England, although yeah. Spencer talks Bridget and Bride. But, and also, the, uh, as I've said before, Bridewell, the, the spire there was used for uh, cakes and I was wondering well, why, is, why did they think of bride and bride and what's the connection mm -hmm. and then in mysticism you, ha you have the bride and the bridegroom in relation to the unison so mm -hmm. of course it's it, 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 in many senses being the bride is a strange you know for, for men seems to be a strange uh, kind of contradiction in relation to the mystical right. thing but it implies that for me that these the notion of a bride was a was a bigger thing about the the, the coming together, uh, which is about this is what what all this relationship is about. It's about getting the balance between two different aspects and getting that right, and allowing the strengths of both, uh, or or they're not going to work. So like they can't avoid each other. Uh, going, one last point: when you're talking about the there is one one contradiction in relation to the feminist approach or, 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 or conceptions of the feminine. It seems to me that some of the most radical transhumanists are feminists, are, are, are women. Uh, the, mm -hmm. There's many, many mm -hmm. uh, who are driving it and uh, associated with that seems to be a, a kind of a, a strong contempt for traditional feminine values. So, so, so it is a, the idea that the, the idea that traditional feminine values are going to translate or are going to stop some of the movements is, is, is certainly not justified by looking same thing at with the masculine story. right yeah everybody's well, yeah. going to these traditional ones right well you know i mean in fact i even i i pointed to it in that essay on transhumanism i mean a, this is an old essay from the early 80s by donna jean haraway right the yes, cyber yeah, 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 okay, right, yeah, yeah. which is absolute contempt for the feminine yeah both the divine feminine and the human feminine. People with yeah. contempt for the feminine, but also kind of an anti not an antiquated, but a different type of feminism. Because I was thinking, James, when you were talking about St. Michael, that this week in my, uh, for my position with the church, I got an email coming from the cathedral and I appreciate them trying to do something. So for example, addiction uh, to pornography is ubiquitous <clears throat> on campus, you know, 
And so this was, I was glad to see it. It was an initiative that came out of the cathedral, but it was a flyer and it had St. Michael with his sword. And you got a sense that they needed 300 warriors, you know, and they were just going to slay this demon if men could come together. And I thought of like Jordan Peterson a little bit. And, you know, all these, as we all agree, would need a lot of nuancing. But I also thought of the Promise Keepers movement, if you remember that from some years ago, which was kind of yeah. like in America, men would go to a football stadium, get really pumped up and say, like, we're going to be faithful to our wives. We're going to love them. And then they would go home. And it seemed to me that they'd play act being really kind to their wife. So they could go back to the football stadium and go like, rah, rah, rah. and, um, and again, the pornography thing, talking to so many young men who are completely, you know, addicted, it's probably not going to be beaten with that sword form of, uh, of St. Michael. It's going to be beaten with light, bringing light to darkness, you know, and the whole notion of crystals making light, but also coming from the earth, you know, that's a Sophia piece, you know, a light yes. in darkness. And, um, and then again, I, I just wonder when we use the term good luck charm, some of those I would believe traditionally would be crystals and charm again, I don't know the etymology, but I like, I think Tom Bird presents charm as the, the healthy blend between the masculine and the feminine. You know, so, so, so many of these men's movements, whether I kind of smelled it from this new initiative coming out, uh, fighting a good battle against pornography, whether Jordan Peterson, uh, whether some of this other stuff, a lot of these men who are trying to find themselves, whether they're going back to old models, but it's decidedly not charming. You know, you, you, you can talk to the young women at campus. They see these men who are trying to pull it together by bonding with other men. And we're men, men, men. So I'm, I'm grateful men, they're, men, they're vowing men, to treat men. me nice, but they're not charming. You know, it, it doesn't like turn the ladies on that much. And they think the men are kind of play acting and so forth. But a lot of this has been, you know, running through my mind. Um, yeah, um, well, you know, well, my belief is that uh, the only way we can go is to emerge from the chrysalis, uh, finally, that, that really, that the implication of spiritual evolution is that we, be, we, we actually change. Or if we stay in the, in the chrysalis, we'll just fester into some goo. Yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. That, that's what's happening. So in, implicit in this is a sense that we actually evolve. And in that evolution, we really have to take on board some of the, you know, the things that we didn't do right or whatever as groups. I'm, I'm not in favor of kind of collective responsibility, it's, it's, uh, mm -hmm. especially from a legal context, outlawed in, in a number of contexts, the, the way different groups or blame is, is attributed to particular groups. The, I was quite convinced when I was reading Camilla Paglia in relation to her interpretation about uh, that were at a, a, a particular period in time and there was very strong role definition and she looked at the italian context and mm -hmm. and that really uh, this is the problem i had with discussions about patriarchy the implication that all the men were having a great time or something when really mm -hmm. men and women suffered equally and in many cases men suffered much worse than, than mm -hmm. at the lower level and at the top level if you go back to the period i'm talking about the plantagenets and, and things like that there was very strong women who had very particular power. And in fact, the founder of the, the Countess of Anjou uh, was, was a woman who, who they believed was, was a demon as well, mm. which is another interesting uh, element to it. So that we, we, have, to, uh, we have to really have a, a, a complex idea, an open-minded idea under the understanding that everybody is going to lose if we if we don't allow uh, appropriate models and 
yes, I agree with you that a lot of uh, a lot of things look, look unattractive, and that the nature of the society that we lived in it doesn't call for the same values uh, in the same way as existed before. And it's the other the other thing that's been in my mind for I mentioned this before as well that in many senses the Christian message seems to be predicated to an agricultural society. And when an agricultural society changes, the Christian message in some way becomes, doesn't speak in, in the same way. And, and there may be written into the Christian message this point of the turning, that this is a, mm -hmm. a point of the turning, and this is as it's meant to be in the unfolding of time. And in that is a nece necessary redefinition. Um, and the crystal thing, what the, the message of the crystal thing is, that we have to escape from concentration on the form and the vessel to concentrate on the, the higher dimension, spiritual mm -hmm. identity and the light and the light that shines through us. Fascinating. Yeah. Crystals, who knew? Let me, uh, let me take <clears throat> this almost from, uh, I'm still thinking of the beginning of this podcast. You know, we're all off and running so fast <laughs> on the machines yeah. of crystals. Uh, yeah. how, about, how about young people's fascination with crystals? Um, you know, if you were, you know, so I, I didn't know all that much about them. And I just, you know, prior to the podcast, Googled a little bit, again, connecting with my own interest in Ivan Illich, you know, his study of crystallography, but also putting in the term, Michael mentioned the 70s and 80s, but uh, crystals apparently to the online magazines are just huge again, right, for calming, for use, you know, in meditation and so forth. You've been reading into crystals, you're a, you know, you're a spiritual disciple. Um, you know, for people who, you know, I, I think, you know, sociology too, this notion, I'm thinking of uh, Novalis, right? There's this great yeah. scene of, uh, you know, Henry von Orfington, where, um, you know, he just goes into the subterranean, there's a library, and just all the light because of crystals and mm. gemstones, you know, and these are some wonderful images. So at the pop culture level, James, um, is there something to be gleaned from crystals? Can we say like so often we do that, you know, when swing dancing came back some years ago, they young people grabbed something and they said, oh, you know, they're just grabbing something from the past and they're not being innovative. But by and large, it was a good thing. Or again, in some of this gender stuff, if men are fighting pornography, even in this way that might not be charming, I'm still going to say it's a force for good at this time. We've got to try something. So pop culture's fascination with crystals. What's good? What's bad? What should we look out for? And is there a practice that you would recommend? Um, there's been a, a major industry which has grown up recently through TikTok in relation to crystals. Uh, so a okay. lot of young people are very much into crystals. What I would say, taking a sophiological perhaps uh, view associated with the the the, the nature of Celtic Christianity is that most of these crystals, I'm not making any big social point, but uh, most of these crystals are dug out of the ground by very poor people in Madagascar and places like mm -hmm. that in horrendous conditions by children and all that. So uh, I'm really, I'm, I don't have a great, uh, great mm -hmm. perspective on that, unfortunately. And the people won't tell you really where they come from. So I'm not a great, I'm not a great Fan. Although I'm very into crystals, I'm not a great fan of the current mass merchandising of, mm -hmm. of crystals. What I would say to people and to younger people is if you try and understand what a crystal is, a base, 
and what the sign of the crystal, because a Burma was another one that crystals were important mm -hmm. for. Uh, and of course, he had mercury, sulfur, and salt in the middle as the balance between them. So, and a particular type of salt, a kind of everlasting salt. So you have this, this middle road again, which is associated, of course, the Philosopher's Stone. But what I would say is that uh, if you under, be, learn to understand about the crystals in your body, for example, earthing, uh, connection with the earth is, is very useful technique, walk on barefoot. Uh, and the man who wrote, who described our body as as the hydrated liquid crystal was also the one behind the earthing movement. So this was the idea is that since we wear rubber soled shoes and all that, we lose our connection with the earth and that electrons go through the body and the resonance of the earth goes through your body and it heals inflammation. He, he says, for example, I don't know, I've never tried it, that if you suffer from jet lag, if you walk on the ground for 15 minutes, it will cure it because it will reestablish your connection with the earth. I don't wow. know. That's true. But yeah. I do believe in the earth. And one thing I noticed, uh, we took the kids to Australia and New Zealand for about three months, lived in a tent and traveled around, which was great. Uh, and lying on the earth uh, for that long develops your intuition. You don't have to do anything, but it certainly re reset, the great reset, reset mm -hmm. sets your body through that, through that contact. So... Uh, if we begin to understand like that sugar and salt and all those things around it, there are crystals and we begin to look at the ordinary crystals. Now, I think there's something here about the ordinariness. And this is about the sacramentalness of the ordinary things. Why salt is so important or why sugar is recurrent. Or, and we begin to look at the ordinary sense of crystals or we begin to ice crystals, uh, 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 as, as mentioned. Uh, that's really the, the, the younger person or older person will gain more from those things. There is a danger as well associated with, with, with crystals, and, and that has to be considered, that if all the spiritual traditions say that spirit, the crystals can be utilized for interdimensional communication, then there is a slight suggestion that, a, in a, if used in an inappropriate way, that the, they may kind of open up your perception to things that you don't want to open up. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that that's necessarily true. So there's always crystals around in your environment. So I'd get to know the ones that, that have the genus, like the ones that are in your environment, you know, if there's quartz in your environment, et cetera, that there's a reason why they're there and, and, and the resonance is, is important. So in their natural state, in their natural condition, getting to know them, uh, mm -hmm. I think is good. But certainly, I mean, if they give people, if they give people help and, and they help relax them as, as they can do, or they increase their insight, uh, that or their beauty and again know. maybe we could uh you know maybe we could make a distinction you know and i think it'll be loose but like somebody saying i read about a crystal online on vox and it said if i order this crystal and it's mined from mozambique and i get it it'll help me get this guy or something as opposed to what you're saying getting to know the crystals in your environment that gets back to that primary distinction you're making between crystals light coming yeah. through crystals and a lot of them are used that they, they they make these rollers uh, to roll on your skin, you know, to keep yourself young and beautiful, okay. and make all these claims and all yes, this. You know, I use it every day. Exploit right? the, you know. So, so there's all this value added. There's a, uh, I, I would say to, to people that really, if you look at a lot of motifs in spiritual literature, they're associated with crystals. 
and the peacock's feather, for example, comes up in, in yeah. a whole load. Now, the mm -hmm. peacock's feather is based on photonic crystals. So why are they so attractive? They're so attractive because of the way the light shines through them. So the same with opals, opalescence, pearlescence. Right. It's not necessarily about the material subject. It's that they reveal the intricacies of the light that comes through as the X-rays light reveals the structure of something else. So it's mm -hmm. this connection, which is again in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, the crystals and we have the light. So in the reflection in many ways is meant to show us or point us to the light, to the bigger, to the bigger fact. In fact, it points many scientists. So Robert Boyle, for example, uh, learns about luminescence through finding a chicken which had gone bad and was glowing in the dark because of the bacteria. So light is a signal prov uh, uh, provided. There is a, a divine path of light that mm -hmm. scientists can travel. It will lead scientists, but it also leads the spiritual ele element of us. And they can come to profound conclusions by following the clues which are provided. They all go back to light. These are all reflections of light. That's the golden the, thread, right? Yeah, the, the ruby laser, mm -hmm. it's about light. So it keeps yellow brick road. Sorry, well, the I, yellow I, brick road, even right? Of, now, uh, the Wizard of Oz. Let me ask you this, James. We're probably getting toward the end there. Uh, so, so a friend of mine gave me the solution of solar silica, which I started taking diluted in water, and uh, which, I mean, one of, one of the things he said is that you know. This, I mean, and we do know that this silica cleans toxins from the system, right? Um, and also, uh, say you got some kind of shot <laughs> over the last few years, and there might be something not good in there that this might clean it out, right? Not, not that I've had that kind of uh, procedure happen to me. No way. Mm -hmm. um, and we uh, also, I mean, another thing we use in biodynamic farming is horsetail. Which is loaded with with silica, a natural forming veg, veg, vegetable form of silica, yes. which is used. We we use it to uh, decrease mold and fungal diseases and stuff like this, right? Which if you if you apply that to to the human body, right, it's parasites, right? So do you know anything about that, James? Would you say anything about that? I'll bring it into our bodies. Uh, yes. The most likely technology for transhumanists, mass transhumanists, network transhumanists, clandestinely or surreptitiously, apart from heeding the sick as, as they intend to do, uh -huh. is by ingestion or inhalation of nanoparticles, which are composed of effectively uh, self-assembling crystalline structures. And that's where, that's where graphene uh, is important. Uh -huh. And there's a plenty of literature about that. So they'll be able to put into your body. And this is what they're talking about. Yuval Noah Harari, how we can see in your body. Yeah. As they insert, as they insert, if imagine there's some bad people like in this dark crystal and they want to, ins they want to see what you're thinking. They can insert this thing, which will shine in certain lights and we can penetrate your consciousness according to them. So uh, that possibility is there because it's in the literature, it's in the scientific literature. They, they already have the capacity to have endovascular uh, mm -hmm. chemicals 
which bind with the neurons and will be able to send signals or be used as conductors. And there's this new hydrogel that was announced this week, partly built in the town that I'm talking about, which they will be able to uh, insert in the brain and act as a conductor. Uh, So all that stuff is there. So uh, the, 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 the point that I would, and I'm going to argue from now on, one of the points is that what we need to do is to encourage and to encourage the scientific community as well, the good guys there, uh, to begin to develop countermeasures to the uh, possibility of abuse of mass public health measures intended or calculated to insert alien bodies into the human, uh, possibly on on some spurious uh, public health ground, uh, which seems to be the mission. They have decided to do so. And remember that J.D. Bernal, who worked on graphite, the precursor of graphene, said that we would, the, the humans would be transformed into silicon. You're maybe on the way there. <laughs> transformed into silicon. And the ones that didn't do it would live in a human zoo uh, and they would be experimented upon by the scientists whose curiosity would outweigh their humanity. This is what he said. Uh, Mm -hmm. There is a very Marquis de Sade element uh, to this. The future, Mm -hmm. as far as I can see in Scientocracy, is sadistic. There's a deep sadism there associated with the denial uh, of humanity, the body, embodiment, incarnation, etc. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in the literature. The last point, just to, uh, to worth thinking about, there's a lot of fascination with insects you may have heard recently about consuming We've been insects. talking about it a lot here, yeah. Yeah. Well, people are concerned about the, uh, you know, the health ramifications, but I don't think it's the biggest concern. My biggest concern, now again, there's a crystalline structure associated with, with this uh, chitin, 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 whatever you want, chitin we call it in the Greek. So chitin, that's the shell of insects and that, this is the, the crucial thing. What do, does the scientific literature say about recent, the reason why they're using chitin? What is the recent uh, state-of-the-art, internationally refereed public journals saying about this substance? They say that chitin is an ideal subject for or an ideal base for tissue engineering to create a scaffold for tissue engineering because it mm. binds... Uh, as a whatever it is polysaccharide it binds with with other things in the body other substances in the body if you take the view just just an interesting thought gedanken experiment if you take what the scientists have said now i like as opposed to speculation or conspiracy theories i like to to quote the scientists themselves well, we know the hg wells said there's going to be a new world order run by scientists and his book, The New World Order. Uh, and he said it was an open conspiracy for the conspiracy. That's the name of the book. And he was associated <laughs> we're, with... We're just reporting the facts, people. <laughs> and J.D. Bernal said they would perform experiments. And he was they studying... really good. We're just letting you know. And his friend was studying... Guess what his friend Ashbury was studying? He was studying chitin. Mm. Wow. The same circle. So these things are cons- consistent. So now we have a situation where if one believed what they said and believed that you could perform surreptitious and clandestine experiments on a mass scale and that they have the technology, according to the scientific literature, to insert in the body 
something that can be used as a scaffolding, it would mean that in strange situations that they could transform the existing human body uh, without the person's will. And, and so you have this, uh, a lot then. of people doing strange things to their bodies. It won't look so strange then if you get an alien figure who will, who develops that way naturally because of the things mm -hmm. that have been inserted into their body so mm -hmm. that there can be experiment. And that's because this stuff is in, indigestible. Now, my right. concern is if this stuff is in the body, and it can bind, it's an ideal binding agent. Mm -hmm. The reason, the way insects and animals use this is it's very flexible. It's like cellulose and it can be used to as a, as a building block to, to, to build whatever you want. So uh, they've said they're building, they're building, uh, you know, they're building back better. They've said they want to be able to program the body. If you look at uh, chitin, if you look at graphene- How is if you chitin at, spelled? Uh, C H I T I N. This I is just didn't know that word. I'll be honest. Oh, yeah. That's what, so that's is, what makes the exoskeleton. If you look at them and okay, put them yep, together yep, yep, and yep. what they have said, well, then they have the opportunity to experiment. Now, of course, you would say, well, all those good people wouldn't do that. Unfortunately, oh, yes, they would. They have told us they were going to do it and yeah. they've acted utterly consistent. So yeah. uh, when uh, people are seeing seeing the light at the end of the, the tunnel. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid they haven't really read what these guys are saying. And when you have mm -hmm. centralized into a bio directorate in the World Health Organization, this is what, this was the basis of world governance in, in the bio directorate for HG Wells in the new world order. So now it's upon us. We mm -hmm. have changed this. They will change your state. They will change the state, the political state you live in and change the state of the world. That is what they have said. Everything yeah. they have done is utterly consistent with that. So yeah, there's another consistent. good reason. Uh, now, I, I don't want to say that to make people to make people depressed, but really, uh, unfortunately, we have to look at the possibility of abuse that's there in yep. uh, consistent with what they have described to do. Now, the good point about that is when you begin to see really what it entails about the end of humanity then you begin to understand what the value of the say the christian message islam has the same concept of light shining and us being reflections of light it's in all the spiritual traditions lightness mm -hmm. in, in 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 buddhism it's a universal aspect of perennial thought that once we realize that this is who we are that uh, this, the enlightening process is a spiritual process, first and foremost, that has been taken by the enlightenment uh, and presented in an alternative simulacrum uh, that uh, we'll be able to then understand through the contrast what the, uh, what the, uh, the choices are. And, Christ uh, and Antichrist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. James wow. Tunney. What a tour de force, you know, we're off and running. I, a couple of things about you, you know, is uh, the the fact that you've kind of like you would you would kind of tie into some of our previous programming. When people are watching on YouTube, you're writing down things for questions. Uh, you have you have a lot of information, but there's there's a wild courtesy that comes from the way you do what you do. And I find it compelling and I'm very grateful for it. Um, Plantation of the Automatons, you know, you mentioned that's that's on my read list, but I'm moving it up to like the next thing I read. Tell people about <laughs> how they can how they can get in touch with your uh, your works and things like that. 
And just, yeah, I have a website, jamestunny.com, I think it's called, and okay. uh, yep. you see the stuff there. And plantation of the automatons is, is the big one. Um, yeah, and plants, of course, they operate photosynthesis by minerals, by and biomineralization is, is, is critical. Uh, again, without rehearsing all this, true plants that came to insights about liquid crystals. We're talking mm -hmm. through, through them liquid crystals now. Um, uh, the reason... I, what's happening now is that around the world there are new families being organized of, of intellectual, spiritual mm -hmm. affiliations. And th this is what we have to do. And that's, that's why we have to pay attention uh, to each other to gain insights mm. uh, and to begin to talk in, in, in an open way. Or the, I call it the mystic murmuration. Recently, mm -hmm. I've been talking about creating a peaceful, invisible army. Yeah. If people have a robust view of what's happening uh, i'm against uh, the idea that can be solved by any organization they're always right. subject to take over but if people are informed they can act in their own sphere in their own way and contribute uh, and in the christian way about dividing families i see that as a, a description of what's going to happen if people don't adopt a spiritual path that mm -hmm. inevitably uh, even if it's in our own family that we can't we will end up splitting because there, there will be no choice there has to be a a, a commitment and that's in all the marian apparitions as well as we know yeah. uh, and uh, in w w one last point as well uh, sorry but if you look at where most marian apparitions happened uh now you could say italy but france is the real big one mm -hmm. and france is also the place that has most battles in human history and i think mm. that connection is is not an accidental connection. Even say Medjugorje was, you know, right near the site of where. Um, yeah. I can think Croatians were murdered by Serbs or vice versa in World War Two and so yeah. forth. Yeah, there's so all that connection is again is this duality and this suggestion about this split and the necessity to to to, to yeah. reconcile. Amen. Amen. So thank you and, and thanks for your work. I think it's appreciated and I think. Yeah, oh, thanks for your work and. Uh, I hope it doesn't sound presumptuous if we call you a friend and say, like, I hope people who are listening to the Regeneration podcast know that we're going to have James Tunney on again and hopefully somewhat regularly. So uh, thanks for all your work yeah, and thanks, everybody. And th thanks, Michael, as well. For, Thank you. Uh, Michael's, uh, yeah. uh, for your, your questions and observations. And right. I uh, hope I didn't bang on too long there. So no, no, no. no. Right Wonderful. Right. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Regeneration podcast. We'll see you again next week.